Do you want to be blessed? Sure you do. I've never met a single person who said, I don't want God to bless my life. Now, I'm sure there, there is a self-proclaimed atheist or agnostic out there who has said that, but most of us long for the blessings of God. Today, we're wrapping up our series, The Blessed Life. And as we do, I thought it was appropriate for us to review as we begin this morning. The first thing we learned is that blessings flow out of relationship. God blesses those who are in relationship with Him. In Psalm 144, it says, Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Did you get that? The Bible says that God blesses those who belong to them, those who have a relationship with Him. Now, there are times and there are ways that, that God blesses everyone. But for the most part, God blesses those who are in relationship with Him. Next, we discover that receiving God's blessings is a choice. Just because we know the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that we will be blessed by the Lord. In Deuteronomy 11, it says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Our lives are filled with choices, and the choices we make determine what will happen in us and through us. And sometimes the choices we make are not putting us in a position where God is going to bless us. And then we discover that God blesses us in a variety of ways. In speaking about Abraham, it says in Genesis, the Lord blessed him in every way. What does that mean? Well, God blessed Abraham with health and with wealth and with with fame and with a good name and with divine protection. He blessed him in every single way. And as we begin studying God's word, we discovered that there are two Hebrew words that are translated blessed. The first word is, is the Hebrew word esher, which means divine happiness or joy. It's a happiness or joy that is independent of the situation or the circumstances that we face ourselves in. It's a happiness that we can have regardless of what's happening to us. And everyone, I believe, would like to be able to have that kind of happiness and that kind of joy. But the other word is the Hebrew word barak. And, and that word refers to God's divine favor. It's God's power intervening on our behalf in life. It's when God provides for us what we could never provide on our own. Robert Morris in his book, The Blessed Life, put it this way. He said being blessed means having supernatural power working for you. Bruce Wilkinson in the prayer of Jabez said, to bless is to impart supernatural favor. And then he went on to say, when we ask God for God's blessings, we are not asking for more of what we could get ourselves. We're crying out for the wonderful, unlimited goodness that only God has the power to know about or give us. So God wants to bless us with divine joy, and God wants to bless us with divine favor. Next, we discovered that, that God's blessings are tied to our obedience. In Deuteronomy 28, one of the, the primary passages, passages that we have focused on, it says this, If 
you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today. The Lord your God will set you high above the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you if you obey. You see, we need to understand that God is not going to bless us when we are disobedient. If we want God's blessings to be poured out on us, if we long for God's blessings, then we must live by God's word. Living by God's word is a prerequisite for the blessings of God. And then we discover that God's continued blessings are tied to our generosity. In Proverbs 29, it says, A generous man will be blessed. When we are generous with others, when we are generous with the resources that God has placed in our care, then God says he will bless us. And then it says in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you'll not have room enough for it. God says, I want you to put me to the test. This is the only place in God's word where God says, test me. And God says, if you will be obedient in the area of your finances, I will bless you in such a way that heavens will open up, my blessings will pour out on you in such a way that you won't have room enough to contain all those blessings. And then last week, Pastor Steve on on this campus and Pastor John on our other campus talked about unity and, and how unity brings God's shared blessings. In Psalm 133, it says how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. But then it ends that psalm by saying, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. When the people of God are unified, it creates an incubator where the blessings of God can grow and nourish and develop and be poured out on us. You see, when we are unified around the main thing, and the main thing is the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection for our forgiveness and for our salvation, when we're unified around that, and that is the main thing, then the Bible says that God pours out his blessings, and he even describes the blessing that he's talking about here, and he says it's life forevermore. In other words, when we are unified around the main thing, and we don't like let secondary things divide us, God will bless us with an environment where many people can come to faith, in Jesus Christ. But this morning, as we conclude our series, I want us to answer the question, why does God bless us? Because for several weeks, we've been talking about the blessings of God, and we've been talking about some of the conditions for us receiving the blessings of God, but why is it that God blesses us? Does He bless us so that we can live safe and secure? Does He bless us so that We can live a life of ease and comfort. Does he bless us so that we can have bigger and better things? Houses and cars and clothes and and vacations? Or, Or does God bless us for another reason? Does God choose to pour out his blessings on us so that we will be a blessing to others? Well, if you haven't already turned there, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 67. 
Psalm 67 is not one of the most well-known psalms, but I want you to understand this morning that it is one of the most important psalms. We will never understand the heart of God, the mind of God, unless we understand this psalm. And we will never understand why God pours out his blessings upon us until we understand this psalm. So I want you to follow along in your copy of God's word as I read, beginning in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and, and make his face shine upon us, Selah, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the nations praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Selah. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest. And God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. If you want to understand the heart of God, his desire for the world, and the reason he blesses, then you must understand this psalm. This psalm was so important that when the people who were writing the liturgy, the order of worship for the Church of England, they were writing this liturgy, they said that this psalm needed to be read every time the church came together in worship. When we read this psalm, we are reminded of the blessings that the priest were to pronounce upon the people. The ironic blessing that we read about in number 6. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The priest, Aaron and all the high priest, when they came before the people were to pray that prayer, were to Give that blessing to the people. But it also reminds us of, of that covenant relationship that God established with Abraham when he said, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and I will, and I will be, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You see, God's desire is to bless us. And yet we must never forget. That God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. He blesses us so other people can be blessed through us. Now this psalm is divided into two sections, two parts. First we see the prayer or the request that David makes. So let's look at verse 1 again if your copy of God's Word is open. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us Salah. Now before we look at the rest of this prayer, I want you to notice how it ends. It ends with that word Selah. Now that word is found 74 times in the Old Testament. 71 times in Psalms, 3 times in Habakkuk. But the amazing thing is, it's a word that is difficult to translate. As a matter of fact, many people say it is an untranslatable word. Most people say that it is a musical term, which means to pause. You're singing a song, and you take a pause. And if that is what it is, and I believe it is, whenever we see this in the psalm, 
what God is saying is, what I've just said, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to sit back, and I want you to ponder this. Pause. Think about it. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and may his face shine down on us. Now, that prayer is in three parts. First of all, God be gracious to us. Deal with us according to your grace. And, and who doesn't need God's grace? You see, this is the first step in living a life in which the supernatural blessings of God are touching us. We must understand that God wants to deal with us according to his grace before we'll ever understand that God wants to pour down his supernatural blessings upon us. Now, what is grace? Grace is, is simply God's undeserved favor. Grace is when we deserve God's judgment, but instead, God chooses to show us his favor. Now, there are two words that are important in understanding how God wants to deal with us. The first is mercy. The second is grace. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. I deserve eternal separation from God. But God makes me a part of his family. He wants to be intimate with me. I deserve a death and a home in hell, but, but God has created for me a home in heaven. I deserve God's wrath, but instead God has chosen to deal with me according to his love. I love what it says in Exodus 34 when, when God literally is describing himself to Moses. He is about to walk by Moses. And as he is walking by Moses, he tells Moses who he is. And this is what it says in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, forgiving, full of love. Aren't you glad God is like that? Man, I am. You see, that's God's mercy and that's God's grace. And praise God for his grace. But once we understand God's grace, then we can move to that point where we ask God to bless us. Now, the word in Psalm 67 for bless is the word barak, which means God's divine favor. God not only wants to deal with us according to grace, he wants to pour out his divine favor upon our life. God's blessings are when things happen in us and through us that we could never possibly attempt or take credit for on our own. I, I've shared this story with you recently, but, but it is so appropriate to what we're talking about here that I want to share it with you again. It's, it's um, a story that John Ortberg tells in one of his books about a man named Doug Coe, who is a real man, who lives in Washington, D.C., and has a ministry to politicians and, and people who work in the State Department, things like that, but... But in the course of his life, 
He, he met a man named Bob, led him to Christ. Bob is an insurance salesman, and he began to disciple Bob. And, and one day as Bob was reading the Word of God, he came across that verse in the New Testament that says, whatever you will ask in my name, I will give you. And he asked Doug, does that verse mean what it says? And, and Doug said, well, yes, it means what it says. It's not a blank check for selfish requests, but it does mean that God will answer your prayers. And, and so Bob said, okay, I'm going to pray for Africa. And Doug said, well, that's kind of a, a big request. Why don't you focus it in a little more? Why don't you zero in that request? And he said, okay, I'm going to pray for Uganda. And as he began to pray, Doug made a deal with him, a bet with him, if you will. He said, all right, if you pray for Uganda every day without fail and God doesn't do anything, then I'll give you $500. If you pray for Uganda, and God does intervene and do something, you've got to give me $500. So they made a bet. And you may not agree with that, but they made this bet. And Bob began to pray every day for Uganda. I want to read what it says after that. It says, so he starts praying every day, and for weeks nothing happens. And Finally, he's at a dinner one night, and they're all saying what they do around the table, and this one woman talks about how she helps to head the largest orphanage medical clinic of its kind in the country of Uganda. And all of a sudden, Bob, who's just been sitting there, just roars to life. He starts pounding her with questions about what she does and why she does it and how it's going. And finally, just to catch her breath, she says, Man, you're really intensely interested in what I'm doing. Have you ever been to my country before? And Bob said, No. She said, well, do you know people in my country? And Bob said, no. She said, well, why are you so interested? And Bob said, well, this guy's kind of paying me $500. And she said, would you like to come and see what I do? Bob said, yeah. And so it goes on, and it said that Bob went to Uganda, and he saw the facility there, and he saw how appalling the, the living conditions were and how people were living in poverty and people were suffering, and it broke his heart. And Bob hadn't been a Christian for that long, but he got fired up about helping the people and these orphans in Uganda. So he comes back to the United States and he starts writing letters to, to pharmaceutical companies and multinational corporations, and in the letter he says this, every year you throw away millions of dollars in unsold supplies, and here's this place where these kids are dying. You ought to send some supplies there. And so the companies start doing that. And this orphanage receives over a million dollars in medical supplies. And so the woman calls back to Bob and, and tells her what happens. And they're having this big celebration. And she asks if Bob wants to come. So Bob gets on a plane. He flies back over to Uganda to join in this celebration, and while he's in this celebration, he meets the president, and the president takes him on a tour, and he sees one of the prisons there, and he asks about this group of prisoners, and, and he's told that they're political prisoners, and Bob tells the president, this isn't right. You need to let these prisoners go. So Bob goes back home. And several weeks later, he gets a call from the State Department. The State Department says, is this Bob? Yeah. And 
They ask, have you been to get Uganda lately? He says, yeah. Did you meet the president? Yeah. Did you say anything about political prisoners? Yeah. What did you say? You ought to let them go. And the State Department said, well, they let them go. What's amazing is the story goes on because of that relationship, Bob built a relationship with the president of Uganda who invited Bob back to pray over him as he was preparing to appoint his cabinet. Now, may I say to you, that's God's divine favor. Amen? Could an insurance salesman who has no political connections, who's never been Uganda, never knows, doesn't know anyone in Uganda, could it ever be possible, apart from the supernatural favor of God upon his life, for him to see the kind of results that he saw? Absolutely not. You see, that is God's divine favor upon our life. That's how God blesses our life. God steps into our life and he supernaturally does in us and through us and for us what we could never even imagine on our own. You see, blessings aren't just, okay, God, I need a I need a hundred dollar raise a week. The blessings are God or not God, okay. I I don't like my neighborhood. I would like to live in a better neighborhood. The blessings of God aren't even God. My, My car is 15 years old. I need a new car, God. To be honest with you, all of those things, we have the power to provide on our own many times. The blessings of God are when God intervenes in our life in a way that what happens can only be described by God did this. So the Bible says we should pray, God be gracious to us, God bless us. And then the third part, God shine your face upon us. That that phrase literally means God smile down on us. In other words, what David is saying, God, when you look at us, don't look with a frown. God, don't look with a scowl. God, when you look on us, my prayer is that you will smile down on us. Now, I'm sure each and every one of us, if our memory is good enough, we can remember times when our parents looked at us as we were growing up with something other than a smile. The look they gave us showed clear disappointment, frustration, perhaps even anger at times. But then there are other times that we can probably remember when our parents looked at us and we looked up to them and, oh, they were just beaming with joy. And and that's what this is saying. God, may we live in such a way That your face is beaming with joy as you look down on us. And so God, be gracious to us. Deal with us according to your grace, not your justice. We need grace. God, bless us. Show up in our lives in such a way that, that we can see things happen that could never happen on our own. God, help us live in such a way that when you look down on us and we look up into your face, we see you smiling.
because you're so proud of what we're doing and how we're living, how we're acting. You see, that's how we are to pray. Now, I want you to notice one other thing here. Each of these requests, they're plural. They're not singular. David didn't say, God, be gracious to me. God, be gracious or bless me. God, let your face shine down on me. No, he said, God, be gracious to us. God, be, God bless us. God, let your face shine down on us. You see, we don't live in isolation. We're a part of a body. We're part of a family. We're part of the family of God. And, and as we pray for God's blessings, we're not just simply praying for God to bless us. We're praying that God will bless the entire household of faith. We're praying that God would bless our brothers and sisters who, who are, are sitting next to us, who are sitting in front of us, who are behind us, you see, our prayers aren't self-centered. Our prayers are always directed toward blessing, not just us, but blessing others as well. So the prayer, the request, God be gracious to us, God bless us, and God, I just pray that your face will shine down on us. But then notice the purpose, the reason that we pray for God's blessings. And notice how verse 2 begins. It begins with that word, that. We are blessed for a reason, and that reason is not comfort, but rather to fulfill God's commission. Now, look again at verses 2 through 7. Let, let me read that again. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people justly, and, and you guide the nations of the earth. Selah. May the peoples praise you, O God. May, may all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God our God will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now, there's four very clear things that God desires. This is a part of God's purpose in those verses. First, God desires to be known. Now, now what is it that God wants known? He wants us to know that he is the one and only true God. You, you see, the nations, the people of the earth, they worship all kinds of gods. They worship a variety of gods. But God wanted them to know that, that there was only one God, that, that he, Yahweh, was the creator of all. He was the sovereign of all. And there was no other gods beside him. We live in a day and age of pluralism, in, in, which, many, in which many people believe today that that there are a variety of gods, there are a variety of paths that, that lead to heaven. And it really doesn't matter what path you take because all the paths end up in the same place. But understand the Bible says there's only one name given to man whereby we can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and no one can come to the Father except through me, through Jesus God wants us to know that he is the one and only God. But then he also wants us to know that he is a God that saves. His desire is not to judge us for our sin and rebellion, but to forgive us and save us. And we must understand that, that our salvation doesn't come by our efforts or by our attempts. It comes as a gift from God that is paid for through the death of Jesus Christ, his son. And then third, God wants us to know that he is a just God. No one is going to be judged based upon the color of their skin, the, 
the size of their bank account, the, the amount of power that they have amassed. Everyone is judged by the same standard, the rich and the poor, the powerful, the insignificant, the celebrity and the unknown. The religious and the irreligious will all be judged by the same standard, and that standard is Jesus. Every one of us will be measured by Jesus. And if our life doesn't measure up to Jesus, then we don't make it. That's why the Bible makes it very clear that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, that standard, which is Jesus Christ. And God is going to judge us justly, whoever we are. And then finally, he wants to help us in our life. He doesn't just want to save us and leave us alone. He wants to guide us and direct us so that we can live life the way he created us to live it in the first place. So God wants to be known. But then second, he wants to be praised. The Hebrew word there comes from a word that means cast out or to throw up. Literally, it is an expressive term. It was used to raise your hands. It was used to, to fall down on your face. In other words, God is a God that wants us to be expressive in our praise to him. And I believe when we know him, when we really know him, is the one true God who desires to save us, who, who is just in his dealings with mankind and who wants to guide us in life, that will lead us to praise him. And then third, God wants to be enjoyed. You see, real happiness doesn't come from living independent of God, but rather finding our identity in Him. To know Him is to praise Him and to enjoy life in Him. I would dare say that everyone who has experienced the new birth, who has been changed and transformed through the power of Jesus Christ, would say that life with Jesus is so much more enjoyable than life without Him. Is there pleasure in sin? You better believe there is. But the pleasure that comes from sin doesn't begin to touch the pleasure and the joy and the happiness and the gladness that comes from Jesus Christ. And then finally, God wants to be feared. That word fear means to be honored as God. It is to acknowledge that He is the Creator, we are the created. He is the Father and we're the children. He is the master and we're the servants. It's to live in light of who he is. And when we know who he is, we will obey him. Now, don't miss this. We pray for God's blessings, according to verses 2 and following, so that the nations, all the people, the people we know and don't know, the people who live next door and the people who live around the world, can know God, praise God, enjoy God, and live their life honoring God. In other words, our prayers are not only not self-centered, our prayers are not selfish. We don't pray for God's blessing so that we can live a life of comfort and ease. We pray for God's blessing so that the nations may know Him and know of the salvation that He brings. So that the nations can praise Him and enjoy Him and live their life honoring and fearing Him. That's why James said in James 4, 3, When you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. 
You see, if I'm praying for God's blessing so that I can live that life of ease, so I can drive that, that brand new car, so that I can live in the nicest of neighborhoods, I'm praying selfishly. And the Bible says God's not going to answer my prayers. But when my desire to be blessed is so that through me, the nations can be blessed. I'm aligning myself with God's purpose, and as I do that, I'm in a position where God can bless me. John Piper said this. He said, we'll experience God's blessings when we align ourselves with his purpose. If God blesses his people for the sake of the nations, then God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and longing and praying to bless the nations. He will bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached peoples of the world. When we move toward the unreached peoples, we're not earning God's blessings. We're leaping into the river of blessings that is already flowing to the nations. As a pastor, it's my desire that I lead our church to align ourselves with God's purpose. Where nothing is more important to us than the world knowing who God is and understanding the salvation that he brings. That's why our vision statement shares that we desire to give 30% of our receipts to reach the world, 30%. That's why we ask you to give over and above your tithe to our global missions offering. That's why we ask you to go on mission trips to other states and, and around the world. That's why we ask you to participate in in ministries like Food from the Heart, like Mission Columbia, like like Operation Christmas Child, like Thanksgiving Baskets and, and other local projects. That's why we ask you to learn how to share your faith story and share it at every opportunity as you walk through life. You see, that's the heart of God. And when we align ourselves with the heart of God, we are in a position where his blessings can flow out on us, both individually and corporately. Mark Batterson has recently written a book called All In, and he's, he's taken that book, and, and there's a little booklet from it called Going All In. And in that book, he says this, when did we start believing that God wants us God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things. That there is any greater privilege than sacrifice. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? Then he goes on to say, my greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus. They can follow the rules but never followed Jesus Christ. I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out. We've made it convenient, too comfortable. We have Americanized the gospel or spiritualized the American dream. Take your pick, but neither comes close to the true gospel. You see, the truth is, God wants to bless us so that through us, he can be known throughout the world. 
And people can receive the salvation that he brings. They will praise his name as the one true God. And in praising his name, they will enjoy him and find the gladness that only he can bring. And they will live their lives honoring him, obeying him, fearing him, if you will. That's the reason to pray for God's blessings. And praying for God's blessings for any other reason is self-centered and selfish. Does God bless his people? You better believe he does. Does God desire to bless us more than, than we can even imagine? I am absolutely convinced of that. But he wants to bless us so that as we are blessed, it puts us in a position to bless the world. So where are you? Where are you in regard to God's blessings? You see, I believe there may be some of us here this morning who we've never really come to experience God's grace. We talked about that, God be gracious to us. And we've never really understood that it's not about our veiled attempts to, to live good lives. That's not how we're saved. We're saved by God's grace through our faith and the power of what Jesus did on the cross. God gives us a way to be saved and we reach up in faith and trust that way. Maybe there are some of you here this morning who never have received the grace of God. You've never been transformed by the power that, that doesn't come from within you. It comes from heaven itself. The power of the Holy Spirit, and He comes in you, and He makes you a brand new person. And if you're here, you've never received God's grace. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't leave here without experiencing the grace of God in your life. But then there are many others of us here who... We know God's grace. We've, we've experienced it. We, we understand it firsthand, but, but we've been kind of self-centered, kind of selfish in our desires. And we want to be blessed so that life will be good, life will be easy, life will be comfortable. We'll have things that we don't presently have. And God says, I so want to bless you, but that's not why. And when we confess of our selfishness and self-centeredness, we have a heart for the world beginning next door and going to the unreached peoples of the world. Then, and I believe only then, we're in that position where God begins to pour down his blessings on us. And so I want you to bow your head with me right now. And close your eyes. And I want to lead us in two prayers. First of all, for anyone here this morning who may have never received the grace of God, you, you've been trying to earn God's favor. You've been trying to be good enough. Or perhaps you're here and you haven't been trying to be good enough. You've just been caught up in sin and you didn't care. But today you realize you need God's grace upon your life. You don't want God to judge you according to your works. You want him to judge you according to his grace and mercy. And you need to cry out for God and ask him for forgiveness. And if that's you, I want to encourage you this morning to pray this prayer to God. Dear God, I come to you today acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've lived my life independent of you. Forgive me. 
I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave to forgive my sins, to change my life. And right here, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Jesus, come in. Take control. From this moment on, I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, and thank you for saving me. Amen. Now, heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and, and you acknowledge, you recognize that you've really kind of been kind of self-centered and selfish in your request before God, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now. And if the desire of your heart is to be blessed so that you can bless the nations, dear God, forgive me for my childlike selfishness for being self-centered. I know I've been that way. I don't want to be that way anymore. I know it's not about my comfort. It's not about my security. It's not about my convenience. I know, Father, that you want to bless me so that I can be a blessing. Father, I pray that you will show me Every area of my life that needs to be bent to your will so that I am in a position to be blessed so the world can come to know you. Lord, that's really what I want more than anything else. Amen.